How to Create a Glitch, the complete series. Chapter 6 Cultivating the Unusual In order to see past the veil of the usual, one must begin by pursuing, even cultivating the unusual or unconventional in one's life. This may be as simple as making choices which depart from the conventional or culturally appropriate. But the most direct, practical way of cultivating the unusual is in the recognition of patterns within a socially interacting group. For example, let's say you sit in a public auditorium. Let's say on this particular day the air conditioning isn't working in the building and the room is hot and humid. Context would tell us that when the group seated in the auditorium takes off their jackets, it is an appropriate response, explained by the weather that day. But what if one chooses to keep one's jacket on? What is the result? First of all, cultivating the unusual requires some element of self-denial. To truly stretch the context, one must recognize that acting in accordance with one's impulses at all times is fatal. No. To stretch the context, one must recognize and redirect one's impulses. The environment in which we live is the beginning of our entanglement in context. When we react appropriately, we are falling into a stream of conscious continuity created by the unification of intersubjective minds. All of sociality, all of the patterns in towns, cities, countries and worldwide, created by the patterns of the moon and stars, the sun, the weather, the seasons, they all contribute in our reactions to the creation of a fabric of contextual ordinariness, which must be deposed in order to experience the true strangeness of being. As the sun rises, people wake from sleep from one side of the globe to the other like a wave. They begin their daily routines, make coffee, bath or shower, go to work. Every one of these actions represents some conformity with some conventionality. But in a more visceral sense, the parallel actions of all these people are an anchor for the substance of context. For context does not exist in and of itself. It is merely a construction of the sameness between people. Nevertheless, these patterns, created by our responses to our environment, provide our experience a kind of momentum. It is only in the puncturing of this fabric that we are able to experience the truth. What are the levels or cycles in the environment that produce these patterns? The exact description of these cycles is beyond the purview of this book. But a few of them are explained by the diagram below, which shows merely some of the environmental cycles that produce patterns within the routines of humanity. Just as in the first book in the series, it is necessary to undermine the influence of these cycles in one's life in order to experience the inexplicable. It is also not enough to merely undermine the patterns of our lives to experience a glitch. A glitch must emerge, be cultivated and reveal what is hidden behind the veil. But a glitch always begins with a clue, a signification of the presence of a larger puzzle. What kinds of clues do glitches leave? They leave smells, sounds, traces in objects and things. For example, one may leave a room and return only to find a foul smell that wasn't there moments before. Perhaps it smells like paint or marijuana. Perhaps one finds something in a place it shouldn't be. These are all clues which reveal the hidden workings of the world outside our observation. Suffice it to say, 
when we are not present to observe, reality pays mere lip service to our expectations. But beneath that veneer, there is a deeper truth, a more absurd reality, hiding in the shadows. For example, one may leave one's place of work for lunch. As one leaves, one may see one's co-workers behaving appropriately for a place of work. But when one returns, one finds a pool of spilled fluid on the floor, which, if one investigates, one finds it to be alcohol of some kind. Or one may smell the smell of marijuana in one's office. Or one may find a stay blonde hair on one's keyboard. These are the kinds of things one must look for and most importantly not dismiss. For they are the harbingers of what goes on in the secret world beyond our expectations. Now, I am not saying that people don't behave oddly when we are not looking. What I am saying is our expectations of people's behavior is fundamentally divorced from the reality created by our lack of observation. Imagine, if for a moment, that the expectations of the world in which we think we live, with all its ordinariness, is nothing more than the fabric of context, the artificial veneer of normality created by our complacency. And in fact, this seemingly ordered world possesses no more true substance beyond our observation than does the ether. If you understand this point, then you understand what it is to perceive beyond the veil. The next step after finding those clues is to work backwards from them, draw inferences from the outlier to the unusual. How does one begin to do this? If one smells marijuana or finds alcohol in a place it shouldn't be, such as a workplace, then one must assume that the reality which one has left is one in which it is not unusual. Perhaps one thinks that one works in an office, but it is in fact a university dormitory. One thinks that one is a professional working for an employer, but one is in fact, a student. The narratives produced by working backwards are myriad, but only one is true, and finding the truth is revealed by acquiring more insight and observation into what lies beyond the veil. Fundamentally, peering behind the veil is about allowing the mind to travel into the imperceptible. The imagination is not merely a place of fantasy, but a place of projection. Allowing oneself to look backwards in time, through the clues that one might find, through inference, through extrapolation, gives one perception beyond one's presence. One's imagination might reveal a narrative explaining the clues, only to find that more clues present themselves in support of a particular narrative. Thus, through small steps, one can look into the space created by one's absence, and observe the unobservable. In time, one will see that every social exchange, every gesture or movement of the body, reveals some narrative, some clue. A person might cough and turn their head, as if to speak to another person standing nearby, but not say a word, at least, to your observation, only for you to work backwards from the order that results, to the truth. Yes, indeed, that man did say something to that woman. But what did he say? The question becomes what order did result? Is it possible that he was offering to let her pass? It is this kind of thinking which is necessary to allow the unusual into one's life, into one's perceptions. It cannot be said that to create a glitch is not at its root a truly dangerous activity. In order to create a glitch, one must travel where one has never been, do what one has never done, escape the limitations of one's expectations and perceptions. One must act more quickly than one can think.
one must do more actively than one cannot. In practice, what this means is that one must take risks. One must go where one has never been or would not be allowed to go. Glitching is about bending the rules of sociality. The rules created by an ordered society and an ordinary way of life. If that means one has to go into the washroom of the opposite gender, then do so. If that means one has to ignore the boundaries of ordinary social conversation, then do so. One must always stretch the limits of one's perception by rebelling against the ordinary if one is to see the truth.